0: Okay, folks, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Daily Power parsha. It is great to see you today, Wednesday, May 4th, 2022. We have a lot to talk about because this week, as you know, Torah portion is Kedoshim, and Kedoshim is all filled. Filled with a variety of mitzvot, variety of laws that govern day-to-day life, Jewish, Jewish ritual life, and all the above. It's great if you want a kind of a... A Shmorg, as they say. If you want a buffet of Jewish law and Jewish values and Jewish ideas, Kadoshim is one of your Torah portions that you love. Um, we talked about, I mean, we've talked about so many different things, ranging from Shabbat, observance, honoring, uh, revering one's parents, all the way down to not putting a stumbling block in front of the blind and not cursing someone who's deaf, which I think is how we ended yesterday's conversation with those, um, those mitzvot or prohibitions in this case that heighten our sensitivity toward others, even if we could tell ourselves, ah, they can't hear it anyway, and ah, they'll never know, doesn't let us off the hook. You know, the famous philosophical question of a tree falls in the forest and no one's around doesn't make a sound, you know, if we, if we apply that to ethics, if we can do something wrong, but that no one will find out about it, is it still wrong? What's the Jewish answer? Yes. Yes, it's still wrong. It's still wrong. I, The other guy's never going to find out about it. Doesn't matter. First of all, God knows. But even if we leave God out of the conversation for a second, the reality is that I know. I know what kind of person I am. In other words, somebody's trying to get a good hook to explain this or a good angle to explain this. You know, sometimes we behave one way behind closed doors and another way out beyond closed doors. So like when we're out in public, oh, we're like so nice and so kind and so generous. Behind closed doors, sometimes a person, obviously present company excluded, a person might be a little bit different. The question is, who are you fooling? Because if, it's all, if life is all about fooling someone else, then you get a check mark. But if life is about being a mensch, being a good person, so that's not only vis-a-vis someone else. It's vis-a-vis ourselves. It's vis-a-vis the way we are behind closed doors. So really, the divide between inside and outside is an artificial d- divide that really shouldn't, really shouldn't actually be there. All right. So with that being that being said, the point of Torah, the point of mitzvot, is to inspire us to dissolve the divide between inside and outside and be authentically menshi, be an authentic mensh, whether we're in public or whether we are in. Private. Okay, so that's a little bit of a uh, kind of a reflection on what we covered yesterday. Let's let Olya in. Okay, so let's jump now into the brand new reading. I'm going to share my screen. Hey, Olya, welcome. Okay, here we go. We have the reading that will appear right now. Torah reading for Kedoshim. Today is Wednesday, reading number four, Leviticus chapter 19, verse 33. All right, I begin. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not taunt him. No taunting the stranger. Again, it's about sensitivity. It's a sensitivity and respect and what we would call in Yiddish a menschlichkeit, or being a mensch. The stranger who sojourns with you shall be as a native from among you. Treat the newcomer As you do the native. This is like every society, every group has dealt with this. Has dealt with this tension. You have a group and someone joins. Suddenly there's a plus one. How do you treat them? As an outsider? Treat them like an insider. That's what the Torah is telling us. The stranger who sojourns with you shall be as a native from among you. And you shall love him as yourself. Now we had earlier in this week's Torah portion... We had in verse 18, love your fellow as yourself. This is even deeper. It's not only your fellow who looks like you. It's the stranger. Love the stranger as yourself. Are you with me? That's like a much more, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a heightened level of, of love. And why? What's the rationale? God says to, to us, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. In other words, you know what it's like to be an outsider. You know what it's like to be othered, to be treated as an other, to be othered because you weren't from there. You didn't look like them. You didn't act like them. You didn't speak like them. You didn't dress like them. You know what it's like and you know where that can lead. That can lead to slavery. It can lead to human abu- abusing another human being. And that is absolutely forbidden. It's absolutely off the table. It's absolutely not kosher. So the stranger who's with you, you have to treat them like yourself. You have to love them as yourself. You can relate to it. You were strangers in Egypt. You know what that's like. And then, of course, the verse concludes, as, it did, as it's done in many places. In the parsha. I am the Lord your God. And that's usually, as we saw in Rashi yesterday, that's usually hinting to the fact that even though you might pretend to others and get away with whatever behavior, whatever attitude you have, But God says, I know what you're really thinking. I know your true intention. No games. You can't play games with me. Make sure you really respect and love the stranger. Like yourself, I'm God. I'm on top of this. Okay, let's actually do Rashi. We'll do it a little bit differently today. Let's do Rashi section by section. So the Torah says, God says, you shall not taunt him. Don't taunt the stranger. This refers to tormenting with words as opposed to financially. Now, not that you're allowed to torment them financially. No, obviously not. You can't steal from someone because they're a newcomer. It's like, oh, hey, welcome. Let me rip you off. That's obviously not okay. But this means even what we would call in Yiddish, a shtech, even like a a pinch or like a squeeze, like a a little bit of uh, mocking that person, also not okay. For instance, and here's a, cl- a, cl- a clear and classic example, do not say to him, only yesterday you were an idol worshiper and now you come learn Torah." Come to learn Torah, which is given over by the Almighty God himself. Who are you? Again, this is something that, that, that the clique might say to the newcomer. It's like, oh, look who Johnny come lately. Suddenly you want to learn Torah? I don't know. Yesterday you were serving idols and now you're showing up to study Torah? Get at it. That is not Okay. Even if you don't say get out of here, even if you like point out like, oh, well, look at this. Look, look where you're coming from. That judgment, that, um, that, that harsh and negative uh, exp- uh, um, verbiage, forbidden. So when the Torah says you shall not taunt him, Rashi, Rashi explains because tonu or losonu also really means don't hurt him. Don't torment him. Rashi is the one who explains, based on, of course, Torah Kahan based on the midrash, that what we're referring to here is tormenting with words. Therefore, the translation here is: "Do not taunt him, taunt him with words, making him remind him that he is the outsider, remind him that he is the newcomer." You cannot do that. Not okay. Not kosher. Let's, in other in other words, if you really love him, speak to him like you love him. Don't uh, n- nothing. Nothing else. All right. Then the Torah says, what's the rationale? What does God say? For you were strangers. You were strangers. You were outsiders. Rashi from Baba Matsya Rashi gives a, a deeper angle than what I shared before. Do not accuse your fellow man with your own defect. What are you going to do? Call him out? Oh, Johnny come la- Look who's here now. Weren't you an idol worshiper? Weren't you in the land uh, uh, Um, you're you're a stranger you're a newcomer hello you were also what are you calling out this guy you were the same thing so the and the hebrew is much better Mum your own mum your own it literally means blemish but here your own defect or care let's say it nicely your own narrative your own story don't, don't call out someone else for having the same story. Words, your story is you came from, you were strangers, and then you were idol worshippers, then you came to Torah. Great. It's a great narrative. It's your narrative. So extend the same net. Na- He's also got the same narrative. Don't call him out on, on what you have. It's like the pot calling the kettle black or something like that, whatever, uh, that ex- however that expression goes. Don't call out somebody for being a stranger and a newcomer if literally that's your story also. Wait, so because you have a year on, you you have an extra few years under your belt. Big deal. All right. Um, Ah, Rashi. Gotta love Rashi. I am the Lord your God. Here, Rashi says the word for your Elokechem is in the plural. So, your in English, your could mean your singular, and your could be plural. Like um, in southern, it's different. It's it's y'all and all y'all. But in your, right in uh, other. English, uh, American-speaking parts of the world, uh, parts of the country. So your could either mean, oh, I have your phone speaking to one person, or um, your lunch is ready speaking to an entire group of people. So just different, your could be both ways. In the Hebrew, it's elokecha, is singular, elokechem is plural. Here the word is elokechem, which means God says, I am the Lord, your God. It's all y'all's God. I am... God for all of you. And here, Rashi says, scripture reminds you, I am your God and his God. I'm not only your God. Don't be so exclusive. And say, oh, God's for me, not for you. You're a newcomer, you're a stranger. We don't want you. You're not welcome. Don't be protect. God says, Don't be so protective over me. I'm a God for everybody. I'm all y'all's God. All right, if God was from the South. Verse 35. All right, back inside. Let's toggle Rashi off. Um, it's a very short reading today, by the way. We may, we may go into the next reading, or maybe we'll just schmooze on this one, or maybe we'll just, uh, um, you know, we'll end it a little bit early than, earlier than usual. Verse 35, You shall not commit a perversion of justice with measures. I love this law. So don't commit a perversion of justice with measures. Measures means literally weights, as the Torah clarifies, weights or liquid measures. So I'll give you an example, classic example. You're selling, you have a store, a dry goods store. Remember those stores? Like a dry goods, store, general store, a dry goods store. Okay, you're selling flour. How are you selling flour? Old school. You measure out flour, right? And you have a scale and you weigh it. So let's say you're the owner of the shop and your price is $1, just work with me here, $1 per pound of flour. Every pound of flour is $1. Easy peasy formula. Great. You might be incentivized to tweak your scales, not you specifically, but one might be incentivized to to tweak their scales so that it shows a pound, even though it's seven eighths of a pound. In other words, how to manipulate the scale that it should read. The reading should be one pound, But really, how much you're giving them is only seven-eighths of a pound of flour. So therefore, you're getting the dollar, but not not giving them the full measure of of flour that they actually think that they're purchasing. The Torah therefore says, you're not allowed to commit fraud. Don't have any false weights or measures. Liquid measure, the same thing. Let's say you're, you're selling milk. Milk by the cup. A cup is... How much a cup is? Help me out here. Sixteen ounces is a cup. Sixteen ounces. Eight, eight ounces. Eight, eight ounces or sixteen? Eight. Eight. What's sixteen ounces? Why, why can't I, why can't I remember my my liquid measures here? Is that a um, all right? Hold on. Google um, how many ounces in a cup? Cup is going to be eight ounces. Yes. Okay. Okay, uh, how many um, ounce, uh, what is, what is um, 16 ounces called? Hold on. Anyone listening to this is probably like, oh man, you don't even know this. Okay, listen, don't judge. 16 ounces a pound. There you go. 16 ounces a pound, but that's a, that's a, that's a weight. Let's deal with cups. Okay, great. So let's get back to cups. All right. Okay. So now, now let's say you're selling. You have a store. You have a farm. Even better, you have a farm. I've always wanted to have a farm, but not right now. Um, so you have a farm, and you're selling milk, and you're selling milk by the cup, eight ounces for one dollar. That's it. You sell a cup for a dollar. Milk. You have a little stand on the side of the road. Meanwhile, and you have a measuring thing, right? You you pour the. You take the milk. You have a big. I don't know jug pitcher of milk. You pour it into uh, a cup that has a measure on it that says eight ounces, and then you either give it to the customer or you then pour it into the customer's bottle, whatever it is. I don't know. Figure out your own uh, your own scenario there. But let's say instead of eight ounces, I'm really only giving seven ounces, but my cup is marked eight ounces. That's called fraud or theft, whatever you want to call it. You're charging you're. you're you're telling the customer that you're giving them eight ounces. You're charging them for your listed price for eight ounces for one cup. And yet you're delivering less than eight ounces, less than a cup. It's not, uh, it's not honest. So the Torah says, do not have fraudulent weights, dry weights, or liquid measure. Okay, no fraudulent weights or measures. Not kosher, not cool. All right. Now, that is the Torah's prohibition here. You know, they, they, would jo- they would joke about the butcher. The butcher would put their thumb, when they were weighing the meat, they would like put a little, little squeeze on the scale. You know, how much is it? Yeah, it's a pound. But meanwhile, you're just applying a drop of pressure. That's not, I mean, maybe that's not a fraudulent scale. It's a fraudulent thumb, but nonetheless, it is not, uh, it is not so kosher. All right, back inside. Let's jump back inside to continue. So, the Torah says, Don't commit a perversion of justice with measures, weights, or liquid measures. Rather, 36, you shall have true scales, true weights, a true ephah. That's a weight. A true hin. That's another type of measurement. Eifah and hin are two types of ancient biblical measurements. If it's, a, if it's an afa, it's got to be a true afa. If it's a hin, it's got to be a true hin. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Now God is introducing himself, not only I am the Lord your God, but who took you out of Egypt. Now you know you're in trouble. <laughs> if God is mentioning also the Exodus, it's like when you get called by your, full, by your middle name, by a parent. But here God is calling himself by his middle name, so to speak. It's like I am the Lord your God, not this one over here. But I am the Lord your God who took you out of the land of Egypt. All right, fine. I will not do this. I know what you're capable of. Um, I saw the plagues. I know the story. I read the book. I saw the movie. I've reenacted it on Passover. I, we're not, not going to mess around with the weights and measures. You shall observe all my statutes and all my ordinances and fulfill them. I am the Lord. All right, let's look into Rash. By the way, they have the same thing regarding gasoline. You're standing by the pump and you're filling up gas. And the little the machine, the, the pump, tells you, oh, you just what, a, ga- a gallon, and now it's, I don't know, four dollars a gallon around that that the price. So, oh, you got a gallon, four dollars, two gallons, eight gallons, eight dollars. How do you know that you're actually getting one, two, three, or four gallons, or sixteen gallons? How do you know how much gallons you get? You're trusting the machine. Good. Do you know, and I'm sure you do, that all these machines, there is a certifying Board from the state of Georgia that goes around to to check these machines to make sure everything's kosher. I believe so because they have certificates, they have seals on it. You ever notice those seals? Right, it's been approved. It's like I notice seals on elevators and on gas pumps. It's like okay, good. I want to know that this elevator is going to work. That's an important thing yes. to know. That I think that's important, right? I want to make sure it, it opens and closes and goes up and down and doesn't do anything else that it shouldn't be doing. And I want to make sure, you know, we want to make sure it's within the public interest that people that are paying for 10 gallons of gas are getting 10 gallons of gas and not 9 gallons and, uh, you know, 9.75 gallons. It's important. It's important. And the Torah, the Torah mandates this. It's a biblical obligation, and God interjects himself in this conversation. God says... You don't don't do this. Don't have false measures, weights and measures, and have rather true weights and measures. I am the Lord your God, together out of the land of Egypt. God is making this personal. God is making this a religious obligation, not just a human civil obligation toward each other. God is interjecting himself in the narrative, saying this is very important to me that society runs in a kosher fashion. Let's read this inside. You shall not commit a perversion of justice, Rashi says. If we are dealing here with litigation, then scripture has already stated, you shall commit no injustice or judgment. So what is the judgment that is taught here? If you look at verse 35, it says, you shall not commit a perversion of justice. And then it says, with measures, weights, or liquid. So the question is, what does justice mean? Is it the justice system, the legal system? No, we already talked about that before in the beginning of the Torah portion. So what is the judgment that is taught here? The answer is, it refers to just behavior regarding ones dealing with measures, weights, or liquid measures. In other words, if you read the whole verse, and you don't stop after the word justice, then you understand what it means. You shall not commit a perversion of justice. What type of perversion? What, false uh, convictions? No, a perversion of justice regarding measures, weights, or liquid measures. This teaches us that one, listen to this, that one who measures out something in business is called the judge. The Torah calls this a measure of justice. If you're the one measuring, if you're the one pouring out the stuff for someone else, if you're weighing out a, a pound of flour or a cup of milk, you're being a judge. For if he falsifies the measure, he's considered to be as one who perverts justice. You're the judge, and you have to be trustworthy as a judge. You cannot be a false judge. Do not pervert justice. They're relying on you for the correct verdict. Your verdict is, it's a pound. Is it a pound? Don't mess around if it's not a pound. Don't pervert justice by decreeing that this is a pound, decreeing this is a cup if it's not. He is accordingly, if he does so, if he does measure out falsely, he is accordingly called perverse, hated, disgusting, fit for destruction and abomination, as Rashi said above, regarding a judge who judges unjustly. Moreover, he brings about the five things stated stated regarding a corrupt judge, namely that he A, defiles the land, B, desecrates the name of God, C, drives away the divine presence, D, causes Israel to fall by the sword, and E, exiles Israel from the land. Yes. Yes. The thumb on the scale, the seven... A seven-ounce cup and the, the seven-eighths of a pound can lead to all of these things. Defiles the land, desecrates the name of God, drives with the divine presence, causes Israel to fall, and exiles Israel from the land. God forbid it should ever happen, right? We're not uh, asking for this. And, but the point is that it's a very significant area to be careful of. It's very easy to fudge, yeah. Well, wasn't the first time they talked about weight when Abraham was paying in silver for a You might weapon. be right, you might be right. It says that he, um, he measured out the coins, you're right. Yeah, that might be, that might be um, the earliest time that we think that we have the idea of measuring. And think about, that's a good point. You know, think about currency. A pound of gold, it better be a pound of gold, right? So if, you, if you promise a pound of gold, right? Let's say you're selling a how An ounce of gold is very expensive. Let's say a pound of gold, who knows how. what let's just Google it. I'm in a Googling mood, sorry. So I have to wait for a while to Google this. Um, how much is a pound of gold? All right. How much is a pound of gold worth? Based on, oh, come on. Um, cost of one ounce of gold okay ready current ounce of gold oh now it's getting complicated a troy ounce I don't know what a troy ounce is well gold is sold by the ounce the purest gold like on the markets is sold by the ounce so is it is it around maybe 1300 does that make sense what's, yes. a, what's a troy ounce do you know what that is It's, I I don't know, I'd have to Google it. (laughs) Well, you wouldn't be the first one to be Googling today. But anyway, the point is that let's say an ounce is around, I don't know, I saw 13 to 1500-ish. Yes. Maybe higher. So let's say it's 1500. Let's just give a round number 1500. So that's 1500 times 16, because there's 16 ounces in a pound, which we established before. So if it's 1500, right, times 16, so then your pound of gold, wow, $24,000. Holy right. cow, that's a lot of that's a troy, a troy ounce is a metric term, it's like 31 point whatever grams. Okay, as an ounce
1: is equivalent
0: to 28.349, so it's a little so bit yeah, more yeah, I measured see. in the metric system and not the got it. Well, I'm then I'm just going to be inaccurate and go somewhere in the middle and say. Let's just, for argument's sake, say it's, say, put out a number of 1,500 for like a U.S. ounce and 16 ounces in a pound. So we're looking at about, again, give or take, because I'm totally making this up, about $24,000 for one pound brick of gold. And imagine if you're selling it to someone and they give you, I just imagine a briefcase being involved here, $24,000 of unmarked, I mean, I'm kidding, not unmarked, of, uh, of bills to pay for that brick you best believe that that better be a brick. That, that Make sure that's a pound of gold. If someone's giving you cash, especially on a street corner for that gold. Yeah, you probably don't want to short them by hooking them up with 15 ounces of gold when you promise 16. That's not going to end well. And, and that's not the dude on the corner saying that. That's God saying that. Oh, plot twist. God is saying don't do that. Forget this dude with the shady hat and jacket. I don't know why I'm thinking of a... Door now. But yeah, forget the dude in the shady, uh, the shady back alley deal. God is saying it's not going to end well. If you're shorting said buyer by an ounce and selling what's allegedly a pound of gold when it's only 15 ounces for the price of a pound, yeah, that's, God's not happy with that, defiles the land, and ultimately leads to exile, which is not a good thing. All right, back inside. Um, I do not want to share the calculator. I want to share... My screen. All right, let's talk about the various options of fraud. Measures. This refers to a land measure. Oh, we didn't even use that before when I I mentioned it. Land measure. Area of length of land. That's important. When the Torah says don't mess around with measures, that means with land measure. If I'm selling you an acre of land, again, you best believe it better be an acre of land and not anything else other than an acre. So that's that. Um, Weights. Weights, Rashi says, is obvious according to its apparent meaning. Weights means yeah, straight up a, a weight, and liquid measure refers to liquid measures as the name indicates. So we have three, uh, three areas, all puns intended. Three areas of potential fraud, and the Torah saying don't do the fraud. If you're selling space, make sure it's the right space. If you're se- like if you're buying a house that's twenty eight hundred square feet, it should be twenty eight hundred square feet. Don't don't. Don't lie about that. Um, if you're selling something by weight, a pound of flour, it's got to be a pound of flour. If you're selling liquid measure, eight ounces of milk, make sure the the, the ounceage is correct, liquid measure. So that's what Torah says. You should have true scales, true weights, a true aFA a true hin. So here we go. True weights, Rashi says, means literally stones of righteousness. May all your stones be righteous. What does that mean? These are the weights people use to weigh against i.e. a standard weight on the scales. If you have a scale, old school scale, right? Old school balance scale. I feel like that should be brought back into in, in vogue. Old school balance scale. And you put on the one side a bunch of flour and the other side you drop one pound. Because you're selling a pound of flour. So you drop a pound block on the one side and then you're measuring the flour until it bounces out. Guess what? Make sure that's a pound and not seven eighths of a pound. Because that would be cheating. Yes. That would be lying. That would be stealing. That's not good. God doesn't like it. Let's continue. True ephah that's a unit of dry measure. A true hin is a measure of liquid measure. Or it's a unit of liquid measure. God says, I am the God who brought you out of Egypt. Rashi says, on the condition to observe these commandments. I took you out as a nation. And I gave you the Torah so that you, so that you live at a higher standard. In business It might have been normal, and it may still be normal, to cut corners in certain places to make more profit. But God says, that's not how I want you to be. I'm holding you to a higher standard. That's why I took you out of Egypt. Another explanation. God says in Egypt... I discern between the drop of sperm that led to the conception of a firstborn and the drop of sperm that did not lead to the conception of a firstborn. This is obviously referring to the to plague number 10, where God killed the firstborn Egyptians. God says, I'm able to figure out who's the firstborn and who's not the firstborn. Likewise, God says, I am the one faithful to exact punishment upon someone who secretly stores his weights in salt, huh? thus altering their weight in order to defraud people who do not recognize them as weights that have been tampered with. Apparently, Rashi just dropped the clue about how to manipulate your weights. I don't know if you noticed that Rashi gives a pro tip. <laughs> if you want to uh, mess around with your weights, store them in salt, because apparently that does something to the weights that, um, that makes them in the seller's favor. So God says, I know if you're storing your weights in salt, or How not. How does God know? God says, "I took you out of Egypt. I'm the one who brought the plagues. Remember, plague number ten. I know these things. I know who's firstborn, who's not. I know who stored his weights in salt, who's trying to cause some uh, some fraud, and who and who is kosher. I, I got this. You can't keep secrets from me. All right, that's what the Talmud says. I love the fact that Rashi just drops a clue about how to it. Like not saying you shouldn't do this, but if you were." You might want to look at salt being an additive. I'm not, judged, not, not though, you should toast us. Don't do it. But, you know, salt is the way to go. But don't do it. I love that. All right. That takes to the end of the reading. Good questions, comments. I actually have a few things to share. But before I get to what I want to share, um, let me turn to you. Questions, comments, insights, observations. No? Make sense? Okay, I want to mention a few things. So number one, the notion of not othering anyone else. Right? There were really two themes of today. Like when a stranger joins you, don't push them away. Don't, you know, um, other them. So that's a very important piece of Judaism, which is respecting everyone. And really loving everyone, even the one who is coming from a different, different context. Because that's really the measure of love. That's really To love someone that you already love, to love someone that you know well, that's a good friend, all right. I don't think you need a biblical commandment for that. But to love someone that you might otherwise distance, that's when you need Torah. You need Torah to remind you, be on your best behavior, be a mensch, and love that, love the stranger. So that's one thing. Second thing is remembering our history. It's not only about be, being humbled about our humble history. It's about recognizing that, as Rashi said, your mum, your 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 defect—I don't like the word defect—but your character. You know, don't hold your history against someone else. Your history is one of being a foreigner, of being oppressed, and being othered, and then you know finding this. So, so, so don't hold that against someone else. That's your story. But how often do we do that? And we do that, I think, psychologically from a place of not wanting to see that in the mirror. Right? When someone has your flaws, you get triggered by it. That's the, and I don't know if you even call this a flaw. But look, you're calling it as a flaw. You're calling it out on someone else. So then, all right, in your own understanding, it's a flaw. The reason why that evokes emotion is because it hits close to home, right? If you see somebody acting a certain way and it really gets you upset, as the Baal Shem Tov teaches, and as we saw today, it's the first question is one second: Why am I getting triggered by this? Why is it because for, is it because on some level I'm struggling with this, or I've you know I'm not fully at peace with that part of me? Otherwise, why can't I just look at it and say? You know, I love your idiosyncrasies. Like, wow, it's like you have this quirk about you that's so interesting. I love that. I love people who are different than me. Why can't you do that? Because maybe they're not so different. Maybe they remind you of something about yourself that you're trying to hide. Maybe they remind you of something about yourself that you're trying to bury. Like your origin story in Egypt, that you were a foreigner, that you were enslaved, that you were oppressed, that you were were, um, enslaved. So you're looking to bury that. You don't want to think about that. You'd rather move on. Somebody who comes from an outsider position now suddenly reminds you of your outsider position. Oh, I don't like that person. You don't like that person? or You don't like, looking, you don't like that reflection? So these are some of the tough questions that the Torah, um, you know, that this reading allows us to think about. And just to be very clear here, the Torah is encouraging us not to hold our own Baggage or own un- unresolved stuff against someone else. On the contrary, if you're a- if you have been able to get past your past, then offer that other person the same dignity. See them past their past. Look at them in their present, and embrace them with love. Does that make sense? Okay. And finally, and finally, the idea of, of weights and measures. Not having false weights and measures, according to halacha, according to the way the the Jewish the, according to the way the Jewish law is codified, the understanding of what we read today is the Torah prohibits not only using the false weights and measures to defraud a customer, but even being in possession of the false weights and measures is problematic. If you recall, and I'll put it back up on the on the screen, the Torah says. Well, number one, don't commit a perversion of justice. That means don't use it incorrectly. Don't use your weights and measures incorrectly. But then it says 36, you shall have true scales, true weights, true ephah, true hin. In other words, don't even possess those false weights, even if you're never going to use it. You know, if I were to use a gambling example, don't own a pair of loaded dice, even if you're never planning on using it. Right? Just don't, don't have it in your possession. And the way the mystics understand this is that every one of us has a measuring system by which we measure ourselves and we measure others. Everyone's got some sort of system by which we assess ourselves and then we assess the other. And and the point is we have to be very careful that we don't have an improper calculus in our own heads, in our own heart, even if we never use it. But having a skewed perspective, that itself is unhealthy. And I, I, I'll, I'll leave it as general as possible so that we can all apply it in our own way. But having a perspective that is either biased or a little overly self-generous or a little overly other, critical of others, having a way to measure that's not objective but rather subjective and skewed is dangerous, even if we tell ourselves that we'll never actually use it. I'm not actually going to do anything. But when I think about you, I got all these judgments that may or may not be accurate. Don't even possess the false weights and measures. Don't even possess a thinking about someone else that's not objective and pure and kind and generous. Never cut someone short. Never cut someone else's measure short in your, even in your own mind, in your own heart. That's a high standard. It's the Torah standard. It's God's standard. No one ever said this would be easy. God didn't say, I'm taking you out of Egypt, life's going to be easy. God says, I'm taking you out of Egypt, and I'm going to give you a way of living that's going to be exceptionally difficult. But it's going to be exceptionally meaningful and exceptionally rich with, uh, with purpose. Okay? Nothing easy about it. All right, I hope all this makes sense. Um, questions? Yes. Hold on, one don't comment. forget. Yeah, go, comment. One comment, um... That this section, that this one, number thirty-six, is the one that says who brought you out of the land of Egypt. It just makes me think about Joseph in prison and the baker and the butcher and all the things that they did and did not do to him. And yeah, yeah, yeah. They that they you're saying that they weren't assisting him. They were putting him in that state of imprisonment and not helping him. And um, Certainly that came from a, pers- I think, that came from a misjudging of, of him and an othering. I think, I think, I really think both points are connected in this reading. Right? When we have the false weights and measures, we're not looking at someone accurately. And we're looking at ourselves a little more generously and them a little bit less generously. Less, right, a little, un- we're, we're overselling ourselves and underselling the other. Or undervaluing the other. And that leads to othering, which is the first part of the reading. But you're right. Joseph is given a raw deal. The butcher, uh, yeah, the, the butcher's wife accused him of a crime he didn't commit. Then he's thrown in jail. And then there, the baker and the butler. And then they don't remember. The, the butler gets out but doesn't remember him. There's a lot of that. There's a lot of uh, not being favorable to him. Yeah. But you mentioned a few things. You wanted to share something else? No. Okay. Anybody else? Floor is open. Olia, Sarah, Ray, Jump in with any insights, if you have. Rabbi, you mentioned something in the beginning uh, you were reviewing about yesterday, um, something about um, a person that can't hear. Yes. What exactly was that? Yes. So I was mentioning that the Torah yesterday prohibits us from cursing someone who can't hear. And the obvious question is, well, what's the problem? They can't hear, then, then they'll never know. So let's say they don't, you know, they're in the room, um, in the other side of the room, and they can't hear, and you say something under your breath. Is it a sin? The Torah says yes. I, ah, they never, they never, they, they can't hear it, they'll never find out about it. Doesn't matter. You can't say it. You can't say it because it's unbecoming, it's not good for you. Besides for the fact that God hears it, certainly. It's also not good for you. Don't be that person that ends up cursing people under their breath, because that doesn't say something positive about you. Anyway, that was uh, that was the incident I was sharing before. Thank you. Sure. All right. Good to see everybody. Have a wonderful uh, rest of the day. And seven thirty tonight. Seven thirty tonight. We are on. We are on track for um, for 7.30 tonight. Torah studies. um, Let's see. The topic of Torah studies tonight is, you know, whenever I'm involved in one area of study, it's always hard to remember the other stuff. Um, Tonight's class is called, oh, Learning How to Love. How to Really Love Someone Like Yourself. Because of course that's a big theme of this week's Torah portion: love your fellow as yourself. What does it actually mean to love someone as yourself? How can you mandate an emotion? What if I? What if I don't? What if I don't love someone like myself? Is, that, like, is there any way to get over that, past that, etc.? So join me tonight at uh, seven thirty, either in person or on Zoom, as we explore the mitzvah to love. Okay. See you all. Have a wonderful day, Olia, Sarah, Joy, and Ray. Take care, everybody. Thank you. Bye, guys. Thank you. Take care. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. As always, you can find us online at InTownJewishAcademy.org and on YouTube at InTownJewishAcademy. New episodes of the podcast come out a few times a week. If you don't want to miss a single episode, then hit the subscribe button. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a moment to leave a rating or review. It means a lot to me and it helps other people find the podcast. Thanks so much for listening and I hope you have a wonderful day.